This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. They're almost like we're insinuating that Jokic is the greatest MVP, which I don't know. We'll get to it. What is up, everybody? Welcome into the Denver Sports Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery. I'm your host today, Adam Modest with DNVR Nuggets, and I'm joined by a eclectic group of DNVR representatives here to talk about the greatest MVPs in Denver sports history. I've got RK with me, fresh off of DNVR Bets and DNVR Broncos. And fresh off a haircut, thanks for noticing. Oh um, man, look at that! <laughs> feeling great. I, I, like uh, you know, I I do have to give a shout out. My barber, the real MVP. Is <laughs> well done, very well done. Is this a? Are you the type of guy that's like, man, NFL schedule's dropping. I got to get a haircut for it. You want to be presentable for the new schedule as it enters the uh, ether. That that's really smart. Uh, down there in the lower box from DMVR Avalanche, it's AJ. What's up? <laughs> oh my god, we're ready to debate. AJ's outclassing me uh, in the playoff beard category, but I have not I have not touched it since the playoff started. It is pretty it is a pretty big beard, man. Also, I didn't know you were gonna be a, a deer uh a deer on mounted on the wall guy, AJ. That's very, very surprising. I have a lot of hobbies. <laughs> uh, and then finally, rounding out the group from DNVR bets, also the GM over at DNVR, it's Andre Simone. Let's ride, baby. Um, Let's yeah, three. yeah, really, uh, really, really ready for the schedule to drop. Hyped, hyped as all of you to talk about the Broncos' upcoming season. Yeah, <laughs> not what we're going to be doing here. But oh, that's also, not what we're doing. Oh, that's not what we're doing. But you know what? You tried. Uh, can I just say something? I, I'm already going off track, but let's ride. I don't know, man. It's so perfectly corny. Like football yep. is football is cornier than than many sports, and it's like it's corny, but I'm still into it. Let's ride. Does anybody else see this, or is it just cool to you? Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I don't know like how to rank sports corniness, but I will say that like football has some pretty corny stars. So I think that that lends itself to your point. Jaden Orville, when he was wore the like mechanics shirt or whatever, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that's," I was like, "This is the corniest thing that's ever been done," <laughs> and everybody's into it. So, like, whatever, I'll roll with it. The way well, the, the way that I look at it is, if you're a 42 year old white dad living in suburbia wearing New Balance sneakers, yeah. and your white socks are way too high up yep. and close to your knees, and if you're saying that shit and it fits, it's corny. <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely saying let's ride as they hop on the uh, exactly on the like you're you're saying like oh you're going horseback riding or whatever with the kids yeah. in the summer and you're like all right fam let's ride it's funny <laughs> as shit <laughs> you're saying i should take off the new balances right now because that Dude, really yeah. to them. Okay. get rid of them they got some grass stains on there from when <laughs> yeah. you rolled the lawn in them absolutely <laughs> see knows what's up the air monarchs are New Balance, I get, but the Air Monarchs are the official lawn mowing shoe of the uh, corny dad. Uh, I know that because that's me. 
So today, guys, we're going to talk about the NBA MVPs. As we all know, uh, our king, Nikola Jokic, over, uh, over with the Nuggets, just won his second straight MVP and received it yesterday in what I thought was incredible fashion. Uh, brought in on his chariot and surprised at his own horse stable. And then a little table set outside, uh, a very unassuming table in front of his horse, Dreamcatcher. I just, to me, it was the perfect display. But we're going to talk about that and and debate a little bit. We're not going to go full radio guy and try to say which was the worst MVP in Denver sports, which is the best. But we are going to sit and try to contextualize them, which ones maybe are most memorable, most meaningful, most impressive, those types of superlatives. And uh, and then at the end, we're going to talk about championships in Denver because we do have a lot of MVP caliber players in Denver right, right now, kind of a unique amount. So we're going to try to forecast the next five years and get a little bit excited. But first... Let's go. Uh, I also first want to just remind you guys, we are presented as always by, uh, by I'm sorry, Breckenridge Brewery. And right now we're telling everybody to drink the Avalanche Amber. Why? Number one, in my opinion, it's the best Breckenridge Brewery beer. It's the number one one. But also it's just one of those things. You got the Avalanche run going on. You drink an Avalanche Amber. It just feels like you're helping that. It's like you're doing your part. We all have to do our part. Your part is to drink an Avalanche Amber, which is a pretty good. Uh, Not a bad pretty- deal. It's not a bad part to do. So um, they're the presenting sponsor. Check that out. All right. I don't know if you guys know this. We did a list today on Twitter. The first MVP, if we just talk about, I know the Rapids fans are going to get upset about us. We, we're just doing the major four. So we're not including any any soccer or any of these other like other leagues. We're just no, doing, Sean Salam either. I'll just. No, yeah, exactly. We're not doing any Heismans. We're not doing any of that. We're just going to be doing the four major sports. And if we go back, the Denver Rockets, not even the Nuggets, actually had the first MVP in Denver sports history, and it's a pretty wild one. Spencer Haywood, who played with the Denver Rockets uh, for this one season here, it was his rookie season, 20 years old, and he was the ABA MVP. These numbers, like almost all ABA numbers, are ridiculous. 30 points per game. That was first in the ABA. He had 59 points in his final game of the season, which was, by the way, was his 84th game. Just Did that randomly. push him up over? Like he needed, he probably needed that to average thirty a game. I was looking at it, and I don't think he did. I think that he, I, I would have to like see. I would have to do a little bit more research. But he was like two points per game higher than than who came in second. Um, so I don't think it did. But nonetheless, it's still cool to end the season on a fifty nine point game. He had nineteen point five rebounds per game, which is pretty wild. Uh, Forty five minutes per game, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> and then here's a crazy one: seventeen point one win shares. This is one of those advanced stats. Just for reference, Jokic, I think, was at like 15 this year, and it was historic. It was insane that he was so high. Somehow, Spencer Haywood had 17.1. Guys, I know none of us have true context for this one. It was well before any of us were born. But winning an MVP in your rookie season, that that deserves its own sort of like category to be able to pull that one off. RK, I'll throw it to you first. What Did you just learn about this MVP, and do you have any perspective on it? No, I won't claim to like know a lot about this, but I think it was uh, our friend Nick Cosmiter wrote a story um, about this season a couple of years ago. And I remember that. And um, it is pretty crazy, like for a rookie to come in and dominate like that. I mean, we've seen, you know, Kale McCarr come into the playoffs as a rookie and look awesome right away. Like that was great. Uh, we saw Carmelo come to the Nuggets and, you know, basically turn the franchise around on a dime yeah. um, as a rookie. So like we've seen some really great, you know, too low uh, during that 2007 run as a rookie. Uh, we've seen some great rookie performances and none of them were really even that close to being an MVP. <laughs> right. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, go ahead, AJ. 
it's absurd at 20 that he did this. Like back then you were like, some guys were still in J like Bill Walton was still basically right. a JV player for UCLA when he was 20. Um, so it's just right. absurd, man. But yeah, it is ABA numbers, which is uh hard to put in context. What, what was their run after going 51 and 33? Did they make some playoff noise? Do you know? Um, I don't remember exactly. I'll have to, I'll have to look it up here while AJ is going, but I will say one thing. The ABA is funny because it had that like nine year run. This was a little bit before the influx of talent. This is, I think, the third season of the ABA, and like Connie Hawkins is there. Not a whole lot of other names that have stood withstood the test of time. You're really talking about the next couple seasons when you get Dr. J, Artis Gilmore, and some of these other guys that come in. So it's a little bit of like, this is the um, tropics, the Flint Tropics era of the ABA. This is the Will Ferrell era of the ABA. Yeah, yeah I, I I don't have a whole lot to add for uh, an MVP that I didn't know existed until we started doing this. <laughs> uh, my question is this: Why? What what happened after that? Where did he go? Uh, so he ends up going to Seattle and in, into the NBA. I mean, he was so good at the time; it was like he's an NBA player. So, um, so he had a little bit. Uh, like Denver actually had Dan Hissel, uh, David Thompson. They actually had a lot of the yeah. best talent coming through the ABA, but they didn't like. Sadly, it didn't translate for them like having this great launch into, uh, you know, obviously into their history. Um, nonetheless, I just wanted to bring it up again. I'm sure we could get more experts on the ABA to go into it, but I just wanted to reference it because I didn't want to leave it out. Yeah. It's kind of a cool piece of history. And also, by the way, the Nuggets to me are the ABA. That's the part of their history that yeah. we they don't feel like it as much as I think they should. Even their name, the Nuggets, is like such an ABA name. Yeah. And Spencer Haywood being an MVP of the ABA, I just it's almost sad that we all don't have this as part of more of our history. That was, there's a disconnection to the history of the nuggets and Spencer Mm -hmm. Haywood is one of those disconnects. Um, All right, let's go on now to the, you know, the modern era, whatever you want to call it. The first one we get is John Elway's 1987. Um, This one again, I'm three years old, but of course we know this one through history. I'll just Mm -hmm. go through some of the stats here An 83.4 passer rating. 19 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. They did lose in the Super Bowl to the Giants that year, or somebody got mad at me, and rightfully so, when we put this on Twitter. They didn't lose the Super Bowl. They won the AFC. Or the <laughs> AFC yeah, phrase it yeah. that way. Um, and then he had an 8-3-1 and record this year. RK, on paper, these numbers are kind of unimpressive. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's an interesting one, and it can definitely uh, be debated, like, across – uh, NFL circles as to whether John Elway deserved it this year. Uh, for example, he threw 19 touchdowns in this year. Jerry Rice caught 22 touchdowns in this season. Um, you know, like Jerry, this was in the middle of Jerry Rice just being an absolute freak as he kind of always was. Um, this, I, uh, this to me is similar without the crazy numbers to why Jokic was voted the MVP this year. It's one player putting a team on their back and just carrying them through the trenches. Like John Elway, you know, we were talking about this the other day, and I think what John Elway did in this stretch of time is is probably the most uh, impressive run by a Denver athlete. And even though it didn't end in a Super Bowl, to me it's still like – John Elway was just dragging teams to the Super Bowl year after year, and then they would, you know, get their asses beat. Um, 
But like the fact that he was able to get him there in the first place is like what we're saying about Jokic making the Nuggets a six seed this year. It's like they didn't have any business being there. John Elway just said, "Come on, guys! Like I'll I'll take care of everything. Just follow me." Um, and I think that's why he gets it this year. Uh, it it's one of the ones that like when you talk about standing the test of time, you look at those numbers and you're like, "What the hell?" Um, right. But but the team around John Elway was not very good. And he was able to just pull rabbit out of the hat after rabbit out of the hat. Uh, and I think, I think it's cool that he won it. And then that was actually like respected in that way. You also get some iconic like comebacks. Isn't this the year of the, uh, the, drive. Uh, the drive? Yeah. So, yeah. so you go there. Go ahead, Andre. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you have in yards per game. If he played all 16 uh, games, it actually at the time would have been the eighth best season. Uh, by any quarterback all time. And four of those are from Dan Marino and Dan Fouts. So it would have kind of been rarefied air, especially for that era. And he also, they're one of only three teams in a 41 game stretch to put 30 plus on the, the bears dominant defense. You know, this is 87. So just two years removed from the 85 bears, one of the greatest defenses of all time. And Elway beats them in a comeback win, putting up 31 points and 341 yards. There certainly are a lot of epic moments that um, quarterback rating you referenced, amazingly enough, is almost 10 points higher than Peyton Manning in 2013, which wow. we'll get into uh, one of the true all-time seasons. And uh, really, Elway comes in, he plays only 12 games in that regular season, but he plays all of the final 10, and they rattle off eight wins. Um, so I think that was kind of the catalyst. But yeah, the drive seems more impressive than anything that really helped happened in that regular season and i'm assuming of all the mvps we'll talk about this is the one where the smallest percentage of regular season games was played by the mvp well really quick this was a strike shortened season um so it's no one Thank was you. playing a lot of games um you know i think jerry rice also played 10 games in that season he was the runner-up for mvp or 12 12 yeah still 22 touchdowns though 22 touchdowns in 12 games. <laughs> he was pretty good. AJ, I'll say, here's one thing that neither of those guys brought up that I think is the most important thing, which is Elway put the city of Denver on the map from a sports standpoint. I mean, there were great players that preceded the 80s and mid-80s or what have you, but it was like the Super Bowls and then obviously an MVP where it's like, hey, this is now a city with a star. Um, and it almost like feels like the modern era of Denver sports in many ways starts in 1987. Yeah, I mean, the way that we felt about Larry Walker getting enshrined into the Hall of Fame as, like, validation of the Rockies as a franchise, I guess you could say that Elway's MVP in 87 kind of did that as for Denver just as a sports city. Right. Like, hey, this is a real sports city. It has, you know, it's no longer it's no longer just one of those teams that exists. They've got a superstar doing special things here. Right. And, you know, and especially with Elway, like, all the expectations and all the hullabaloo about his rookie year and being drafted and seeing it all come together the way that it did. It was sort of just a coronation yeah. uh, of for, for Elway as like, Hey, he's elite. Um, he's elite. And Denver is Denver is an actual sports city now. Yeah. I, I think when I was doing my research too, like he had the stamp of approval of all the big wigs. I think it was Bill Parcells that had this quote that he's like, he's the best quarterback in the game. And he think in 87, there's some big hitters, yeah. like some heavy hitters out there. And, and it's funny. The other thing about these stats, the game is just so different now. I mean, we know yeah. this. And, and so 
some of the low touchdown numbers and even just some of the low pass numbers, yeah. it's just because it was a different era. One of the things that when I was, again, preparing for this, so much of it was he was in many ways the first guy that beat you with his arm and his feet. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was part of it. It was like compared to Marino or, or any of these other guys, he's the one that can like you moment you blitz him, he goes up the middle or something. So yeah. Yeah. Um, and he did. He was he was like. Uh, much more like Mahomes and Allen of today, where like he right. scrambles around to try and Man, get the defense, you know, running around, and then all of a sudden someone slips out the back end and he throws a rocket across his body 60 yards, and it's a walk in touchdown. He, you know, he wasn't running necessarily, but he was scrambling. Elway to me is like, um, he was the first great athlete, I and mean, it's for almost everybody, but like Elway to me, it's hard for people that didn't grow up in Denver, you know, in this way, maybe you don't get it, or if you came about a little bit later, but for me, he was the athlete you wanted to be. Like when you went out and played in the street, you were pretending yes. to be John Elway, and it was because he was both dominant. Well, another thing, he was dominant, he had comebacks. This year, I believe he had two regular season, fourth quarter comebacks mm-hmm. as well. Like that was just his MO, was yep. card, cards down, you just got to go for it, he's always going to pull it out. Um but also just like he was so unique and fun. And it, it is funny yeah. now that we have so many running quarterbacks. It's become a thing. But, yeah, back then it was like a different beast, a different a, a different thing. Last thing I'll say about the stats is, you know, we're talking a lot about how Pete Carroll um, kind of put the shackles on Russell Wilson and didn't allow him to cook. As you know, that's a big conversation in Denver this year. This is the conversation that was having was being had around John Elway back then with yeah. Dan Reeves. Was you know the Broncos have the best quarterback in the league. Dan Reeves won't just let him go be John Elway. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, another yeah. reason why the stats weren't as good. Uh, real quick, also Brendan asked, was this Elway's best season? Definitely not. But from a statistics standpoint, um, in '93 he throws yeah. for 4,000 yards, which it back is like throwing for 5,000 yards now or more. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 63% completions, which I believe was a high for him. Um, 25 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you extrapolate that out to what a season looks like today, that's, you know, those are crazy numbers. Yeah. So you get one in the 70s in Denver, one in the 80s in Denver. Then we get up to 1997 as the next one. And this is Larry Walker's uh, MVP season. Let's go through some of the numbers. 49 homers. That was first in, in the NL. Uh uh, 36 uh, or 0.366 batting average, 0.452 on base percentage. He led the league in OPS, Golden Glove, Silver Slugger, and he was in the 30-30 club. But here's what's crazy: he's one of two players in the 45-30 club, uh, which is even crazier. When I was researching, everybody knows I'm not a big baseball guy. When I'm researching this one, we can like tell when you said 0.366. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Really <laughs> sure thank you. When, when we were going, when I was going through this one, just on some of the like the research and articles written about the MVP season, it was because I was compiling this for all of the players, and like you'd be like, oh, he was first in the league. This first in this. Larry Walker might have led this season in first. Like it was like he's the only mm-hmm. one in the league that did this. Only one in the league that did this. Um, some of the numbers are pretty wild. Who wants to go cook on this one first? Yeah, I mean, this was this was like the season for Larry Walker, where yeah, we talk about we talk about guys that were five tool players, you know that that could that could do literally everything on a baseball field. This was Larry Walker doing everything yeah. on a baseball field. Yep. Yeah. You know, because they and and like so much gets made of like the Blake Street Bombers and Coors and all that, but he was like the Blake Street Bomber. you know like he and and you look at the numbers and like a guy that hits 366 is insane right you're talking about like 
baseball, especially back then, baseball was like, look, we're looking for guys that can hit 270, 280. Right. And he was just like, okay, great. I I can I will give you a base hit 36% of the time. And then a, a 452 on base percentage is broken. And <laughs> to combine that, to combine that with the kind of power that he had uh is is just uh, I, it's the kind of stuff that you saw from like Barry Bonds mm-hmm. later on in his career after he started cheating like crazy. And it was just <laughs> like and it's and it's just like he he was doing this in the, you know he did this in 97 and yeah. it's really like for a guy that had a, a hard time staying healthy this was always like the this is what he could do if mm. he was healthy for an entire year and he was on his A game. He was just he was a game changing force. Yeah. yeah, I feel like this is the ultimate Rockies anecdote to this story, but it also lends credence to how good this season was for Larry Walker. The Rockies didn't make the playoffs. Um, <laughs> it, it, the amount of MVPs <clears throat> across sports who have won the MVP without making the playoffs has to be extremely low. Um, but like again, kind of respect to the voters for being able to contextualize baseball, you know, being a very individual sport, him being the best individual that year, and it not being his fault that, you know, the Rockies can't put together a complete team ever. Um, I I think, you know, you talked about Barry Bonds. This was Barry Bonds-esque hitting while also being an elite defender. You know, like... Right, right. You know, he wins the gold glove. He has, like, we'll we'll all remember just the rocket throws, the outfield assists that he would have, like... He was, I mean, he did everything, everything. Five tools, like, it might not even be enough. They might, There might be some yeah. more tools that he had. Well, to be part of the 45-30 club is, I mean, the numbers are bananas, but that is truly the most incomprehensible. And I think AJ, I mean, just a force of nature. Like, to be that much of a beast at bat and then such a defensive force and such an insane athlete running the bases right. is just incredible. And, I mean, the Rockies are still four games above 500. And the beauty of baseball is you can put it a little more in historic context. His on-base plus slugging, his OPS, is a 32nd best all-time. That's in 100-year-plus yeah. history. That's not at in 97. That's with where we're at now. That's still 32nd all-time. That tells okay. you just yeah. like, what a beast. Larry Walker, to me, has a bit of the Jokic-ness in him, too. Part of it, he's foreign as well, albeit Canadian. But like he just has this little bit of like – where the the frills of the sport are almost lost on him. That's why I love his like Hall of Fame showing up and uh, his absurd uh, SpongeBob outfit. It's just like this, this guy that's like playing. It's almost pure. He almost costs me as pure a pure baseball player, and 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 that's part. Same with Jokic, obviously. Is it's just like a basketball player with none of the frills. Well, and the interesting thing about him is like. <laughs> There are some stories out there about like, you know, you hear about like how hard guys work and all this stuff. The way that Larry Walker has talked about from the baseball people I know is like he just showed up to the park and <laughs> destroyed. Like yeah. he was not like, oh, yeah, dude, you see, see this guy. He's grinding in the batting cage at midnight. It's like, no, he just yeah. gets to the, you know, gets to the park right before he hits batting practice, walks out there and just dominates. Just dominates. I love it. Let's take a break. On the other side, we're going to start getting into uh, Terrell Davis, Joe Sackick, some of the heavy hitters of the MVPs in Colorado. All right. Let's give a shout out to DraftKings Sportsbook, where you can bet $5 to win $150 on any NBA money line, uh, which is just awesome. And the best part is you don't even have to be right. 
they're they're giving out participation trophies at DraftKings. You just got to play. Just place a bet. You'll win $150 in free bets if you get if you just play. If you just play along. Um, so you know, get in on Suns, uh, Mavs tonight, whatever it may be. If you're a new user, you can bet five, win. 150 just for playing along. And of course, you can also get a sign up bonus up to a thousand dollars when you use the code DNVR at sign up. For that, of course, you must be 21 or older. Colorado only bonus comprised of first deposit bonus and first bet match, each with $500. The deposit bonus requires a 25x playthrough and restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. And if you have a gambling problem, call 1 800 522 4700. Also, if you're one of the many, many people in Colorado who have been screwed over by billionaire greed and you can't watch the Nuggets and Avalanche on television, we have a solution for you, yes. Vodka TV, uh, an absolute savior uh, for so many. And the best part is this is like you get the Rockies, you get the abs, you get the Nuggets all on your TV, and it's super, super affordable. Mm. 25 bucks a month plus 10 bucks for the receiver. But when you use the code DNVR and you go to evaca.tv slash DNVR, you're going to get 10 bucks off your first three months. So 25 bucks a month to be able to watch your teams on your TV. No hassle, no illegal, whatever you're, you know, you got to do to watch the teams. Uh, check out our friends over at Evoca TV. All right, let's get right back into this. We got a lot to go through. Um, 1998. If you guys ask me, like, just name the first MVP in Colorado sports history. To me, this is the first one I think of, in part because we love round numbers as human beings. And the 2,000 yards rushing is just like yeah. such a... It's such a big deal. Terrell Davis, 2,008 yards rushing. Of course, that was first in the NFL. At the time, it was only the fourth 2,000-yard rushing season. 392 carries, 21 touchdowns, Super Bowl champion, Super Bowl. Uh, was he the Super Bowl MVP that year? No. year before. You know, prior, the, yeah. The year prior, the year yeah. prior. So he completed, I guess, that trifecta of MVP, yeah. Super Bowl MVP, and Super Bowl champion. Um, to me, this is the one I think of first, just because it was so memorable. The rounded numbers here. I'll start with you this time, AJ. What do you What do you remember about this Super Bowl or about this MVP? I mean, it's it's TD's two thousand yard season. Like, yeah. it's so weird when you watch the NFL now because it's like running backs are so disposable, and it's like don't pay them, don't give them, don't give them carries, like bell cow backs in college like it's like a bad thing because that's wear and tear on their body <laughs> but like there was a time and terrell davis was just like the pinnacle of that time yeah where he just did every like he wasn't the fastest he wasn't the biggest he wasn't the strongest he was just a guy that found the perfect system for what he did well and he just took over i mean there i the the Terrell Davis memories are long in my <laughs> life as like yeah. probably my first favorite athlete yeah. um growing up he was the one that I was I was just like I don't understand how this works I don't understand how he's this much better and like I was a kid and I didn't understand you know he wasn't the fastest and he wasn't the biggest mm -hmm. and the strongest and like what was Terrell Davis the best at? All of it. That's what it was. Is he was being running. a running back. Yeah. Being yeah. a running back. Like that was what he did better than anybody. Yeah. And when I anytime I like fire up Madden and anytime I, you know, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna call this little halfback sprint off to the left. I'm just like Terrell Davis, baby. He's yeah. doing better than anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, a couple things here. One, it, I just think of dominance. Um, yes. That Broncos team was so utterly yes. dominant, yeah. and Terrell Davis was 
the heart of that. You yeah. know, John Elway, again, he had another great season this year. But the fact that, like, you lined up against the Broncos this year and you were just like, God damn it. Like, yeah. this is going to suck because they are just going to punch us in the mouth and run us over and Terrell Davis is going to go nuts every single game. Um, so, you know, and, and Elway was banged up and old and – TD, it was just like, yeah, just give it to right. TD. And they were so good. The offensive line was so good. And the other thing I wanted to say is this is pr- – the Terrell Davis MVP is probably the closest p- parallel to the Jokic MVPs, which is, si- you know, sixth-round draft pick. Right. Uh, guy yeah. who thought That's he was going to get cut. Everyone's right. heard the story. You know, he was uh, in Pretty in cool. Japan. They, they were playing in Japan, and he was trying to leave early. He was just, like, ready to give up because he's like, I'm not yeah. making the team goes down makes an awesome play on special teams you know fires up the coaches they give him some a couple of chances like it's almost like he was maybe even closer than Jokic to being nothing right. before eventually uh becoming an MVP which is which is cool you know you you love the stories of these things and and that one is is really special yeah it's the one i carry like with the most pride in my chest like in TDN a- 98 is something like <laughs> I'm proud of, man. That's part of my life. That's something that I like hold my head up high because, and AJ put it so perfectly in uh it was a different era. And back then running backs were so romantic because they're the star that's like carrying, carrying your hopes and dreams and running with them. They're just all, you're just like so enamored and invested in this one dude running with the ball and trying to run away from 11 other guys um and and yeah i love the parallel with yoke even the two three year dominant stretch is there this one's just special man this one's just special about the right stuff too i mean i think when we go through this list there's a lot of good dude we don't have any like ray lewis's on her or something like that where maybe you're like i don't know this like there are a lot of like really like just super high character guys he was one of them but the thing to me, what you guys were mentioning, I almost feel like, AJ, you were underselling him by talking about him not being the best this or that. I know you weren't meaning to, but I'm listening yeah. to this, and I'm like, he kind of was the best at everything. He wasn't like, the, you're right, the fastest guy, but he wasn't slow. And the thing that I always remember about him was they were so dominant that when the, the offense was in flow, you had to be like, pass, run, pass, touchdown. Like It just was, it was killer. But I also remember five, six times a game, they would hand it to him. The play would be completely busted. So he'd just turn around and like run the other way and just freewheel it for, for 20, 30 yards. And I just felt like that happened multiple times every game where he just pulled 20 yards out of nothing or 10 yards out of nothing. And he just, he was, he was so fun to watch. Um, I would, also, I would also add that while it's not part of his MVP campaign as a regular season award, like he, he tacked on like, 500 yards rushing in three yeah. playoff games. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Like if 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 Denver wasn't comfortably blowing out Atlanta in that Super Bowl, he right. could have easily tacked on a couple more yards and maybe another touchdown. Like yeah. it he was he was so special in the playoffs, which is I mean, let's be real, yeah. his postseason play is why he's in the Hall of Fame. Terrell Davis Yeah, and I was going to say Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, Terrell Davis has the title, in my opinion, of best playoff running back ever. Yeah. Um, oh, God, and, yeah. And that might be the coolest title of anyone, of any yeah. any Denver sport. It's funny how much I think of Terrell Davis and John Elway as a duo, even though like 80% of Elway's career was without him, maybe 85 or whatever, mm-hmm. but it was such a loud portion. Um, yeah. All right. 
AJ going to clear out for an ISO here. Joe Sackick, 2001, 54 goals, second in the NHL, 64 assists, 118 points. That's also second in the NHL. Played in all 82 games, had two hat tricks. And then like, uh, oh, actually, unlike Terrell Davis, this is the year he won the Stanley. Oh, uh, oh no, it is like Terrell Davis. Also won the Stanley Cup that year, the same year he gets the MVP. Um, also, just real quickly, he won the Lester B. Person Award, which was voted on by the players. So the MVP voted on by the players. And also the Lady Bing Trophy, the Citizenship Award. Um, yeah, so Lady Bing is like Nice Guy Award. Uh, it's it's basically given to like the guy that exemplifies like sportsmanship and like being a solid dude. It's true for you. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's good, though. Like, I like it. I, I, to me, nothing it doesn't add it, to it. It adds to it. Yeah, nothing wrong with it, but... Uh, what what also gets lost here is that uh, so Lester B. Pearson is what we uh, call the Ted Lindsay now, but it's the MVP as voted on by the NHL players. So by media, he was the MVP. By yeah. the players, he right. was the MVP. Uh, he did not win the scoring title that year. Yarmir Yager had three more points than he did. Mm. Um, good for him. Yeah. Uh, but like Joe Sackick, like so that 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 avalanche team like that avalanche team started with the expectation they brought they brought ray bork back um you know they they lost in game seven in dallas joe Sakic wasn't any good in that playoff run and on the plane back from dallas uh patrick waugh and adam foot and ray bork went back and talked to him on the airplane and said you weren't good enough we need more from you ray will come back for one more year but you have to you have to be there. You can't no show in the postseason again. And Sakic, like widely considered one of like the clutchest hockey players of all time, has the NHL record for overtime goals in the postseason. Like that was his worst, but one of his worst postseasons of his career. And for his teammates to just call him out like that, like guys that they'd been making cup runs with, and they were like, You just weren't good enough, Joe. And Joe was like, You guys are right. I owe you guys better. And so he, the beginning of that season, that team was just on a mission. And forgive me if some of this is going to sound familiar, but they were just on a mission. They they were motivated. They were angry. Playoff disappointments, uh, game seven losses. They were starting to get looked at as like they just can't. They're 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 not going to be able to get through the barrier. They just can't get it done, despite all the talent, despite all the great players, and. That sacking season, beginning to end, wire to wire, that was the best team. He was the best player. He was the captain. He was the leader. He was the face. He did everything. He was, that was the single most dominant season in Avalanche history. And mm. there have been some good ones. Like, sorry, Fopo, we'll get there. But beginning to end, that was, uh, he was just on a different plane. That was his best season. Uh, he had, he actually had more points in 96, but everything that he did everything that he he did that year everything that he meant to them and not uh not just just to add one more thing here the closest an av has ever come to winning the selkie as best defensive forward in the nhl second place finish that year wow yeah second place finish so 118 point season scores 50 goals he's the captain of the nhl's top seed the best team everything right but also finishes second in the NHL in Selkie as the best defensive forward. So I, that's that's you, you do. He did everything for them. Nuts. He did everything for them. And then obviously 
it's remembered a little more fondly because of how it ended. For sure. Uh, but he also, he led the NHL. He did not win Conn Smythe that year, but he led the NHL in playoff scoring. He had 26 points in 21 games. Coming off of what was a major disappointment in his worst postseason performance, I mean, that is that is how you respond, right? It almost makes it better. I think sports are almost better when they have a little tragedy in them. You know, mm-hmm. like that. Like it's not just that it was easy to this. Like there was a tragic precursor to what was a glorious return. Is 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 really cool. What do you remember about it, Andre? I mean, late '90s, early 2000s. It's kind of Camelot. This and the TD MVPs are going to be categorized in similar ways because it's not just dominant superstars in their sport winning MVP, but it's then taking that right through dominant performances through the playoffs and right to a title. So I think they're just in kind of a different vein. It's also unsurprising that I feel like uh, the teams I rooted for in my childhood like was just the best because this is what we were going through in the late right. 90s. And early 2000s and i mean so it, the, the other theme is a lot of these guys are just like absurd playoff performers and i mean that's what i remember about joe the most is like how clutch he was how you could always count on him and playoff performances and i mean aj gave us the context to it all just an unbelievable magical season one yeah. one quick thing that i just want to add real quick here is that he also had the injured teammate argument because peter forsberg they lost peter forsberg after game seven against yeah. la they yep. won the last two rounds of, of that postseason without Peter Forsberg. That's so wild, man. I I hold this one in a really special place because I credit it for me being a, essentially a lifelong hockey fan. Um, mm. And I, me and, like, all of my friends from when I was that age, we all watched the Avs every night. Like, it was, like, a part of the thing. And I think hockey is one of those sports where without – a a direct introduction to it a lot of people don't get into it and this run for me you know that's happening as i'm nine years old which is like right when i started just becoming a diehard sports fan like that it just it it legitimately changed my life i've been watching hockey ever since you know so um that one was really really cool to me i was always like joe sackick was my guy in terms of like joe or peter or patrick uh he was the captain like it, this one is cool for me because, you know, the, the way that I am enjoying this current Avalanche run, like, happens because of that that right. team, that season. Right. Sackick's also the easiest along – the second easiest alongside John Elway to place on the Denver Sports Mount Rushmore. Like, we were just doing this a couple of weeks ago, and it's like he, – he's those two are the easiest to pencil in, and you can debate after that. Um, yeah. All right, 2003, two years later, you get uh, Peter Forsberg, 29 goals. The numbers on this one are almost – more impressive, at least for, from an outsider's point of view like mine. 29 goals, 77 assists, which was first in NHL. 106 points first to get again. 29 uh, multiple-point games, including 14 three-point games, two hat tricks. And then I love this stat, just a random one. Three games where he scored on his only shot. I don't know if that's how common that is, AJ, but I just think it's cool. I think it's a baller move to score only on your one shot. Well, like um, Peter Forsberg wasn't. Like he scored plenty of goals in his career, right? But like he was the best playmaker of his generation, yeah. arguably. Yeah. Um, but he was not like just like a goal scorer. Like he could do it. Yeah. He did. He didn't struggle to score goals. But you go and you look at his career, and you're like, the guy only scored 249 goals, which just isn't that high of a number. 500 is typically the the like, oh, that guy scored 500. Now he's in the Hall of Fame. Gotcha. He got the two. He was at 249. 
but it tells you what a special player he was that he's still in the Hall of Fame and what a special playmaker. And that year, like the Larry Walker year, look what happens when the oft-injured superstar stays healthy. Right. He just lays waste to the league. He was unreal that year. I mean, he was – what was different about Peter Forsberg is that when he was healthy, he was – like Joe Sackick was special. He was just skilled at everything. He did everything really well. Peter Forsberg was similar, but he was a freight train doing it. He played with such power and such anger that he physically dominated in a way that if you were not a hockey fan and you sat and you watched an avalanche game, you're like, yeah, that guy's really good. He scores a lot of goals. But look at this freak of nature just running over all the other guys in a big, tough league. Peter Forsberg was the biggest and the toughest and the me and he was just nasty. Like there were the, the reverse hit that he used to throw a dude would get near him and he would feel it and he would just stop what he was doing, essentially let them run into him. And then when they fell down, he would just carry on with his day. Like he, he was just a highlight reel every single, every single shift. He did something that you were just like, okay, okay, dude. And, like like Sackick that year was was highly regarded uh, defensively as well as he finished top five in the Selkie, but he did win the Art Ross, which is highest score. He was the top scorer in the NHL that year. And for a guy that doesn't score a lot of goals, I mean, 77 assists is a lot of damn assists. Insane. Yeah. Yeah, Insane. It's, it's not a one-to-one comparison, um, but like Forsberg was the louder superstar. Like his highlights, and like to me, it's like if Jamal Murray was better, it's like he was the Jamal Murray to Jokic and Sakic. You know, like, um, like he do, he has you know the fifty point game. You know the the crazy dunks. Like in in hockey terms, like he had the highlight roll, highlight reel goals, and the crazy you know the explosions that just blew your mind. Um, whereas Sakic was the more like methodical superstar um and and the right. like just getting to watch those both of those guys at the same time is crazy also uh, then behind them is the best goalie ever like it, it's it's just a, an insane combination and and we were lucky to see it yeah he's just one of those dudes um because of that combination i mean there are some athletes whose highlights i go back to from time to time vince carter's one um and fopa's definitely in that mix because it's just like kind of unreal what he was able to do that combination of physicality and fearlessness and wanting to take on contact with the skill and just like class and vision that he had is i mean He's one of one. He's one of one. There are a couple guys on these lists that we're talking about today that are one of ones, and Fofa's definitely one. I mean, that's yeah. it's nuts. Like, it's a privilege to have been able to watch a guy like that. All right, we got to keep it moving. Let's take our final break. On the other side, Peyton Manning in 2013, and then back-to-back for Nikola Jokic as we round out this list of Denver sports MVPs. And then pick a most spectacular one. Um, we'll do that on the other side. This is a quick one, uh, and I get to tell you about my favorite thing. It's the DNVR bar. Um, Someone up here uh, up top was saying, it was Brandon McKee, said, I really wish I could get into Avs hockey uh, the way I can with the Nuggets and Broncos. Avs are so damn good. I have the key to you to getting into Avs hockey. It is coming to the DNVR bar for an Avs playoff watch party. 
I'm telling anyone who will listen, I do not care if you if you know hockey, if you like hockey, if you've been into it, just come experience what it's like to be in this atmosphere, especially if you're not going to you know, spend a couple hundred bucks and go to the game. That would be my number one uh, recommendation. But if you just want to get a taste of what Avs hockey is all about, come down to the DNVR bar, hang out. We're looking Look, like Monday. You got to you gotta come be part of the Vibe Tribe. Yeah, yeah, the Vibe Tribe. <laughs> I got to say, the Avs honestly make it so easy. Like, Because I've watched all these games. They've scored in the first two minutes of every game, or at least <laughs> close to that. Like, you don't – Usually you're like, I got to settle in. Like, let me see. Okay. No, they just score. It's great. It's really great. Yeah. And that's the other thing is like, we're talking about all these amazing Avs teams. We might be watching the best Avs team ever right now. Um, And you can have a chance to get in on this. Like you can be talking about this season the way I talk about 2001, 20 years from now. So um, come hang out, come down to the DMVR bar. We will, you will be accepted and loved and, there will be no gatekeeping. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, uh, we'll welcome you into as they're calling it the vibe tribe right away. So come hang out at the DMVR bar. Look, if you wear a Rangers jersey, you won't be accepted. Okay, yeah, like, don't do that. Don't do that. But otherwise, uh, vibe tribe. Yeah. Vibe tribe all the way. Uh, remember game two, Adam? That you couldn't find the stream. They scored kind of late in that. One. <laughs> I they think went. I missed the goal though. I think you missed it. I wasn't like, <laughs> that for like three minutes or four minutes. I was so pissed. It feels early, but they it did take ten minutes. You just it <laughs> well, turned turned the channel, and they just it was so <laughs> it was so dumb. My kids do that thing where they'll pause the TV, and if you don't know, you're watching. And I'm like, man, is the Avs game not on? Is TNT not flipping over? What's going on? Damn it! It was my own my own kids. Um, I, I sat there and watched ten minutes of the game that preceded. It was terrible. <laughs> um, incredible. All right, here we go. Uh, 2013, Peyton Manning. This would be. Maybe it's just because of recency bias. This is the second most memorable one. If you just tell me personally, Denver sports MVPs, I go to Terrell Davis. Then I go to Peyton Manning. But I think part of this has to do with the numbers as well, especially when we compare them to 1987. Uh, 450 completions, that's the most in the NFL. 659 passes, that's the most. 5,477 passing yards, also the most. And then the crazy 55 touchdowns. Absolutely ridiculous. If you recall the season, and I do, seven touchdowns in week one. 16 touchdowns and zero interceptions through the first four weeks. Absolutely hilarious. Nine games with four or more touchdowns and then four touchdowns in week 16 to break Tom Brady's record. The game, the sport was different. This is a little bit of like, uh, I'm not trying to take anything away. I'm just saying it's it's almost like Steph Curry's threes where like sometimes we'll compare him to like Chris Mullins or something. It's like, it's not fair. Steph's taking 13 a game. Mullins taking three. This is almost how it was with Manning. The numbers were just so absurd and so over the top. Um, this season to me is like the statistical outlier of MVP seasons. And like part of the reason that the game changed the way that it did is because this guy showed up and played it that way, right? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, have, like we're we would be stupid to hand this ball to some random running back <laughs> right. when we could have right. Peyton Manning just decide yeah. where to throw it yeah. to have a like a good shot and. At a touchdown, what was it, 55 touchdowns on, like, what, 400 and something completions? Yep. Like, ridiculous, like, man. like, every, like, eight completions is a touchdown? You're just like, <laughs> hell, dude. Like, I got a good opportunity here to just get a touchdown. Why would I hand the ball off? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. the stats will not feel quite compared. That year, the stats felt that way. Like, every time the Broncos got the ball, I was like, okay, is it going to be a touchdown or a field goal? Let's yeah, see. like. That, that shootout against the Cowboys where it was oh, like, oh, man. They, 
Dallas, Dallas this is going to be, oh, this is going to be a thing. And then Peyton Manning was like, I'm going to start running some in. Like, the ultimate flex. Like, I'm just going to bootleg and then run in. And then throw for four more. This is by far, to me, the most casually dominant season I've ever seen. Um, Like, you think of, like, John Elway. And you imagine him, like, scrambling around and, like, running and, like, working really hard. And Peyton Manning was just like, all right, so they're in they're in Tampa too. So like, you go there and you go there and you clear him out and like he's just gonna be wide open, snap, toss, and just like it was that like every single play, it was like I've never seen anything look so easy for someone who was dominating at the highest level. It was like you know I always talk about how Nikola Jokic like makes me laugh out loud right. um, when the, some of the things he does, right. and like I said the other night, Kale McCarr is starting to do that too this was that you're just like laughing at the, at the defense because yeah. you, you know, they see him go up there and they're just like, God damn it. He knows exactly what we're trying to do here. Um, it's so, funny to be a linebacker. When you see him pointing at you, you're like, Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> you look at your coach. Like he knows what I'm doing. Should I try to do something else? <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's what, that's what made this one fun for me is it was just like, it didn't even feel like he was trying all that much. He was just like, oh, this is pretty easy. I've got the best. A little like, fist pump. Yeah. yeah. And, then walk to the, and then he would just walk to the sideline, and you're like, whatever, dude. Dre, does this one, though, not to make it a downer, but this is like almost to me like the 73-win Warrior season. It's like the, yeah. the, the Patriots yeah. season where they were undefeated all the way until they weren't. To me, this was like the most dominant. Like that they would have won the Super Bowl, this might have been my number one. Oh, yeah, yeah. most dominant. But the fact that they didn't just lose but got blown out, and my recollection of this, which is pretty strong, wasn't that long ago, there was a little deer in the headlights for everybody. Manning, who had just outsmarted everybody on every single play in that game, the Broncos were just like on the canvas from the get-go, and their heads were spinning. So does it lessen it at all the way the season ended? Yeah, to some extent, because I mean, especially juxtaposed to how easy it felt during the regular season. This is playoffs. And play it's true. This is the most like fever dreamish. This is the most like as a fan, I had to tell myself, enjoy this. This isn't normal. Like, try to really enjoy this moment because you're witnessing something you'll ne- like it'll never be this easy and this fun and this incredible. Right. And I was like a prick watching Broncos games. Every, <laughs> every incompletion, you're like, watch how oh, you know, yeah. like you, you can't it's like, run the route right, catch the ball. Yeah. You know, like you're just everything should be a touchdown because it's just that easy and that normal. And it it felt like from week one, you know, you had all the stats in the first four weeks, like. It was just like brainless, automatic. He's MVPs, offensive player of the year. He just like got everything. There was no touching him. He was on another level. And I kind of don't think, well, in some ways, we'll never see quarterback play so finely tuned and perfect. But you're right. The, the, the magician's illusion is kind of undone because you know that through those dominant, what, 19 weeks, including the playoffs, there is that game at the end against the best defense that was just like, and what there's sucks, your fever dream. Like, yeah, it ended like that. What sucks about it is I I firmly believe, and I will always believe um, that it was a you know I talk about like the uh, the eighty ten ten theory, which is like eighty percent of your games are you're gonna be yourself, ten percent you're gonna play way above, ten percent you're gonna play way below, and somehow in the Super Bowl. The Broncos got a bottom ten performance game, and the and the Seahawks got a top ten performance game. And like I think if you play oh, that game a hundred 
hundred times, you might never see another one that looked like that one. And so that one, that's like what hurts about it the most is like, it was, it, it's, they got smacked, but I don't think there, there, there was even close to a big of a gap between those two. I, I don't know football well enough to say. The one thing I will say though, is that Manning was the ultimate chess master and it felt a little bit like a chess player that just keeps getting trapped. Like that, that that's what the game felt like is, it wasn't just that they got beat. It's that they couldn't solve anything. I mean, it was just so overwhelming, like three and outs and fumble, you know, just everything was like, you lost in a way that made it feel like you were solved. Even though I know to your point, it probably goes different if you don't fumble on the first play or get a touch, uh, uh, you know, safety. Uh, a safety on the first play. So, yeah, it's like you for Peyton, he's such a planner. And he wants to be in control of everything. Mm-hmm. In the first second of the game, everything was taken out of his control and everything became chaotic and they were down. And like I think that just screwed up everything, to be honest. Yeah. But let's move on now to Jokic in 2021. 26.4 points per game. That was 12th in the NBA. 10.8 rebounds. That was ninth. 8.3 assists. That was sixth. 31.3 PER player efficiency rating was 12th best all time. 16 triple doubles. Uh, that was second most. 60 double doubles. That was uh, first most uh, in the NBA. Dominant season. Here's the thing about the first MVP season for Yoke. Yeah. It was the most out of nowhere. Elway in 87. He was a, I mean, he was mm. obviously a, a top pick. Like everybody knew he was the prize. Terrell Davis, maybe a little bit of a surprise, but even by 98, you knew who he was. Like he was, he was on the come up coming off the Super Bowl MVP. Like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, like he didn't, right. he, he wouldn't catch anybody by surprise by that point. Forsberg, Sackick, you knew who these guys were. Manning, you knew who these were. Jokic, I just, as recently as last year to start the year, I just was like, yeah, he won't ever win an MVP. He might be, you know, top five player, but I don't think he raised his scoring by four and a half points per game. Yeah. He just went to this whole other level. To me, that's what that, MVP is about is it was the most surprising because he made a leap that even I as biggest fan didn't didn't necessarily anticipate or expect yeah for me this this one means the most to me of all of them um Mm. because it I mean it's the it's the thing that's gotten a little bit old now um but it's like we had to fight so hard for Jokic respect Um, and it was like for years it just for a little over a year, it felt like we're the only ones seeing this. Like, what is happening? How does no one else see this? Uh, and so, you know, that whole season, it never felt to me like he was actually going to get it. I was so ready to be angry and disappointed <laughs> and yeah. kick and scream that he didn't get it. And him getting it was just like, okay, all right, I can calm down. Our guy is validated. Like, it feels so good. And what's crazy is, you know, I, I was trying to find the clip. Not to, you know, open up a Jokic respect thing right now, but I was trying to find the clip and like I was I was I had a tweet that I was going to send yesterday, which is like, we can finally let it go. We don't have to do the Jokic respect Jokic thing anymore. And then the second after they announce it on TNT, they start disrespecting Jokic. That was this year's. That was this year's. We'll have, yeah, we'll have to... talking about. I know, yeah. I, but I'm just saying like. I, I, just to bring it back to the whole Jokic respect thing, I, we can't. We we still have to fight for his respect, and this one at least uh, was like he finally got it. Um, like he he this, he's finally validated by people outside of Denver. That that was the ultimate validation. But Andre, here's the thing: the NBA MVP, it's usually the same guys. Like this is the thing about the MVP, and and maybe some other leagues is it goes around. There's a lot of different guys. 
the NBA, it's like Jordan's going to, his career, he's going to win a third of them. And LeBron's going to yeah. win a third of them. It, it doesn't change that much. So the fact that Jokic kind of reached into that zone, to me, that that's part of also what made that first one so special. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's just like, it, it's also part of this era of the NBA where you have back to back to back to back Euros winning MVPs, right? It's right. kind of a, a different um, deal. And I mean, he is coming off the bubble, right? Like his playoff performances were suggesting sure. this guy isn't is like he's actually special, special like top thirty all time. The average twenty two points per game. It's the points per game that I just yeah, never thought right. would go up, and he went all the way up to twenty six and a half, and it was like holy hell! I did not <laughs> think he was a top scorer in the NBA. It's so true, and I just think of those sixteen triple doubles that could have been so many more on the yeah. like just. <laughs> Just barely, but I mean, that's when our king was like 26, 10, and 8. Like, I don't know what to tell you guys. If you've been following basketball for any length of time at all, these are like special, rarefied, elite, once-in-a-generation type level numbers. Um, and also the vibes, let's just face it, for that Nuggets team in 21 were like off the charts for a large portion of the season. Yeah, all the way till they were back on the charts, sadly, yeah. falling, <laughs> yes. falling down the charts. Yes. AJ, anything real quickly on this first MVP, and then we'll get to the second one? I mean, I the second one, I think, means more because the first one felt like everybody, like, reluctantly gave it to the guy who right. stayed healthy. And so it was like, oh, it's validation, but it was almost like, well, we had to do it. Otherwise, we're going to have to give it to injured guys in the future. Right. We can't let that happen, the travesty of all travesties. Yeah. And so then this year happened, and then it was like, it. this year you have three, like, all-time great seasons. Yeah. So for me, the second one means more, because the first one felt like too many people were just dismissing it like, oh, this will just be a total fluke. Right. And honestly, man, like, even I thought when we did the preseason thing, like, is Yoke going to average the same amount of points and this or that? And it's like, I don't know. It'll probably take a little dip, a little regression. Instead, follows it up this season. These are the crazy numbers. 27.1 points per game. That was sixth in the NBA. Nobody talks about Jokic as one of the league's best scorers. But honestly, he might be the single best scorer when you talk about he averages fewer field goal attempts than every other player. And he's right there at sixth in the uh, in the league in scoring points per game. 13.8 rebounds is absurd. That's second in the NBA. When you talk about the all-time greatest rebounders in Denver Nuggets history, Yoke might be number one, which is just something we oh, yeah. we don't even account for it. Like rebounding is just this thing we don't even account for. He might be the best rebounder we've ever had. Um, certainly top two or three. And then you get 7.9 assists per game, which is crazy. Eighth, 1.5 steals just for good measure is 12th in the NBA. Like why not? 19 triple doubles, 66 double, uh, double doubles, both led the NBA. Uh, 66.1% true shooting is absurd. I know that doesn't mean everything to everybody, but it's the fact that he was as efficient as players who only dunk the ball, like Rudy Gobert. Um, he's as efficient as those guys, yet he's shooting 15 footers nonstop and floaters. And then, of course, the first player to 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, 5,000 assists, the best PER of all time, the best box plus minus of all time, the best advanced stats. We're, we have a 75-year history of the NBA. We have That's this... Fun. 30-year history of keeping advanced stats. Jokic somehow just had the best by all advanced metrics. It's To me, it's it's unbelievable. And then to do it, as AJ pointed out, on a year when everyone was like, we gave it to him last year begrudgingly. There's no chance he gets right. it again. And then yeah. he does with 65 out of 100 votes. It's like, 
it's wild. Like the guy's so good, he forces their hand. People that don't want to yeah. vote for him. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and the funny thing is, there's people out there saying like, "Yeah, it's a narrative award." Like the narrative carried him. It's like the narrative hates you. So against him. <laughs> um, yeah. It, yeah. It's. W- w- I remember before 2021 saying like, "What if we got playoff Jokic for a whole season?" <laughs> And then we just did. And like, I I very, very clearly remember watching a DNVR Nuggets post game and Adams saying, like, "Um, so if Jokic is just going to play like this the whole season, like, everyone should go bet on MVP. Um, (laughs) And I did. Um, Then Adam also later told me to take the buyout. I've forgiven him since. Hey, um, sell the high, <laughs> buy the dip. That's how you do it. <laughs> uh, I, but yeah, it was so. That was the coolest part is it's like, oh, he has this? He has more? And then, you know, to, to transition it to this season, it's like, oh, he has more? He right. has a, he can reach further into the bag? And I just keep thinking to myself, like, can he do that again? Now, I realize he's not going to have to maybe shoulder as much of the load. Or RK, I said this last year. Like, yeah. he's not going to be better. It's just, it's just not, guys. Like, logic tells us it's not going to be, I mean, be better. What I was going to say is, like, his numbers might not be better just because he's get, his assists are going to go up. I'm, I'm confident in that. Um, and that's why I keep saying I think he might average a triple-double next year. But my thought is just, like, he's never going to have to carry the Denver Nuggets the way that he had to, hopefully, this year. And that should be a good thing. Um, but I'm like, but he's I, – I think he might get better again. <laughs> It's wild, man. I just, I, instead of counting sheep at night, I just lay at night and think of all time great NBA players. And I, I ask myself, wait, Wilt never had 2,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 500. <laughs> I know. No, I know. a big old right heat. No, uh, Bill Rock. No, Magic. No, literally. It's not, even, it's not even like we have it's to absurd. like advanced numbers. Those are just the top three stats. It's absurd. I've, I've like dreamed and thought about, NBA history like more than any other sport in my life and for him to have accomplished that which all the other greats couldn't do is unfat like truly in the truest sense of the word unfathomable I cannot wrap my mind around it it is insane so now it brings us to the big topic here about which one I mean the part with Yoke similar maybe to the Manning one is less so but Manning was a surprise you had the hopes Nuggets you all season long everybody on earth knew they weren't going to win it it's almost more like Larry Walker's season than it is anybody mm-hmm. else's where mm-hmm. the individual context was so separated from the team context so now we have to go back and 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 figure out which one of these first of all I'll start with memorable cuz it's more subjective which one to you AJ I'll start with you Obviously, abs, but just removing that, trying to be objective here. Which one is the most memorable, you think, MVP? That's where I go. Uh, for me, it is Sackick's. Just because that team, the way that that team carried itself, um, and he was just at the forefront of it and what they accomplished, <clears throat> you know, winning the winning the cup without Forsberg. Um, just the way that he – and when we went back and watched that Stanley Cup final during <laughs> the beginning days mm-hmm. of the pandemic yeah. – like Joe Sackick was like all their offense in the Stanley Cup Finals. If he was not scoring, the Abs weren't scoring. He did he did all the heavy lifting for them. And when you do all the heavy lifting for in the Stanley Cup Final against the defending champs, and you take it away from them, including an elimination game in their own building, uh, for me, like, and I understand the MVP is a regular season thing, but 
let's be real. Like we're not sitting here talking about signature moments that happened in a February game, you know, yeah. but yeah. for me, it was just the wire to wire dominance of Sackick that it's, it started with such high hopes and it ends with the ultimate, the ultimate prize. And were it not for Patrick Waugh's brilliance in the Stanley, Stanley cup final specifically, he would have won another con Smythe. Mm. Yeah. What about memorable? Before we get to best, Andre, what's most memorable for you? Most memorable? I think it's Manning in 13. Um, there's just something about that season that feels truly memorable. I mean, it was just like I had, I mean, I felt I needed to pinch myself. It was like, how are we in this situation? How are we getting to witness this? And it, it's hard. I think this conversation has been great in really establishing how hard it is to, to separate MVP seasons from what that season was and what it led to in the postseason. Um, but just like, there's no, he, that wasn't, he was the MVP of the MVPs. Like when you stack that MVP against all other NFL MVPs, that MVP feels like in a higher stratus yeah, um, always 87 mvp against manning's mvp and you're like mm. <laughs> yeah. it also yeah. just felt like he solved football and that's why the that's yes. why the super bowl was such a crush is because it just felt like oh okay he's reached the pinnacle where he now has mastered every single skill and there's no solution to this yeah. it's football nirvana football nirvana yeah yeah for, for me that's where i would probably go um it the 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 only thing that makes it slightly less memorable for me is that I was in college. So like my memory is actually a little bit <laughs> fuzzy, um, but, but it was just so, it was just so dominant, so easy. Um, and it was so clear, like no one was like debating who the MVP was that year. Yeah. yeah. For me, I'm, I'm just going to stick with Terrell Davis's most memorable in large part, similar to the Jokic back-to-back thing, Broncos win a Super Bowl, and you feel like, Oh, it's awesome. You know, one off, it was a miraculous Super Bowl, you know, upset. They were underdogs and upset Green Bay. And it feels great as this little one off, like nothing to take away from it. I'm just saying it was this little one off. Then to follow it up with an absolutely dominant wire to wire season for the team, but him specifically, I'm just like, to me, it almost felt like I know they don't get to be a dynasty after two, but it just was a dynasty. It just felt to me like, oh, wow, look at this powerhouse. The Broncos are the, the, center of the sports universe um now in large part and Terrell Davis is center of them all right now we have to do it the most impressive one AJ I have a feeling yours is going to be one and the same memorable and impressive both both together no I think I think uh this most recent one from Jokic because the lack of the lack of help and just the efficiency that he did it like those those numbers exist for a reason and those numbers are meaningful and used by NBA front offices to make decisions for a reason, right? The entire city of Philadelphia can act like math is bad, but ultimately like there's a reason that those numbers drive decisions in the NBA because you're trying to find the, the, the center point between dominance and efficiency and nobody did it better ever in the game mm -hmm. than what Nicole Jokic just did. And he did it without his two best players, like his two best, his two best running mates. I mean, it's, for, for a singular performance, it's just on a completely different level. What Jokic just accomplished was something that I don't know that it can be properly appreciated because it's yeah. just so out there level of special. 
it, you almost I, feel like you're using recency bias, right? Because it's so, but it is, it is like the greatest PR season of all time. I, I just talked about like every, think of any, gr the greatest NBA player of all time. He has never done what Nikola Jokic did this season. Um, so I'm torn. I really think that as far as individual excellence, and sorry to cut you off, RK, 2022 for Yoke, 2013 for Manning, and 01 for Sackick are kind of in a in a stratus of their own. But I, I, ju I just cannot separate the fact that no one has ever done what Jokic did in 2022. Yeah. I just can't. I um, I think that everyone on this list had sidekicks involved. Um, it's, you know, Manning had an incredible uh, wide receiver core. Uh, Forsberg had Sackick. Sackick had Forsberg. Uh, they both had Waugh. Um, TD had Elway. You know, the Elway 1987 one is probably just doesn't even get to be in this most impressive conversation. He's probably the closest to not having sidekicks in that yeah. one. Um and Larry Walker, you know, you don't really need it in baseball. Um, Jokic did this one with no sidekick. Yeah. Nothing that even really resembles what we would think right. of as a sidekick in any of this. I don't think anybody averaged 15, yeah, which is exactly. like a low bar. Usually you have a sidekick averaging 20. Like, so Sackick was one of five Hall of Famers on his team. And yeah, right, you can't right. even say that the starting five for the Nuggets, all of those guys would be starters on other NBA teams. Yeah. Right, right. So for me, like you turned on a Nuggets game. It was if Jokic dominates tonight, the Nuggets have a chance. If they don't, it's a guaranteed loss. And then he mostly did dominate every single night and gave them a chance every single night. And so for him to just do yeah. that, as far as I'm concerned, alone um is is puts it in the most impressive for me. That's the thing about Jokic's first MVP season was it was the first year he had no bad games. Like before that, there would have we had emotional funk night. We had, oh, he only took one shot, or you know, whatever guy outplayed him. That first MVP season was like, oh wow, so he's just good every time now. And then, of course, to follow it up with another one of those where you're, that's two years in a row now where he's basically been B plus level basketball player or better every single night, almost never misses games, knock on wood. Um I just can't go there for most impressive. The one thing I will say, if Denver comes back next year and wins the championship, it I think I, we recontextualize all of these things, yes. um, including this last one, because then we look at it and go, wow, is that the greatest season ever? And it was the season, but almost the way we look at 1987, Michael Jordan, where, or 1988, where he won Defensive Player of the Year and MVP and, and scoring title and all these things. Even then, people were saying, Jordan's he has all the accolades, but he's not the best player. He probably was but he didn't clear that hurdle. And then once you do, you go back and then reanalyze those things where like, actually maybe he was the best player. He did all those things. I think if next year Yoke wins the title, we're going to look back at this three-year, what would be a three-year run and just go like, wow, this was an all-timer. It validates the numbers. It validates everything. Nope. And nope. now maybe it opens it up to winning more and more titles. But for me, if I went most impressive, uh, AJ's really sold me on 2001. It's not yeah, the it's most it's not the most impressive statistically, but I'm kind of a sucker for just a great story. And because I think that's what sports are about, not just like did you get yeah. the numbers, did you do this, but what did you what were you challenged to do and did you do it? And and the context of that one kind of gets it for me. It's so for me, it's probably that or Terrell Davis, who again was just so dominant. Right. One of those two right. um, would be it for me. Real quickly, I love the way it, like baseball, I think, does a great job with awards. 
Golden Glove is a cool name. Silver Slugger is a cool name. I like breaking yeah. it out individually. Cy Young is a cool thing for pitching is almost a separate thing from everybody else. I like that. And then I like the idea. I hate AJ. I hate that there are the names con because <laughs> I never know what the F you guys are talking about. Like, I'm always like, hold on. There's the president's lady being, I can't figure it out. That's the only reason I don't like it, but I do like the idea of separating these things into categories and having them as different awards. I do really like that. I think the NHL might do it the best in terms of, it's easier to know what it is you're voting on because they're more clear. Yeah, I also don't like the names. Like you really like the Ted Lindsay had a name. It was the Lester B. Pearson. And now what? Like Lester B. Pearson's not important anymore. So we changed the name of it. Like I don't the, the, Lester. Yeah, right. Shout out Lester. He's a come on. He's man. a he's a lesser person now. I I just don't <laughs> I'm I'm all I'm I'm with you. I think they do a great job with the awards, and I like them. Um, I just wish the names weren't. Yeah, name. just call them the players MVP and the media's MVP. I don't know something. Simplify it. I just think it would be a little bit cooler. I also love Golden Glove, Silver Slugger, just the coolest things to they say. Are great. Yeah, I'd rather win a gold, a Silver Slugger than a Con Smythe. I like the idea of the players champ and the people's champ. That'd be cool. <laughs> players champ and people's champ is great. People's champ. How often is it the same person? Very, very frequently. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Uh, that wraps it up. We went a little bit long today. We didn't get to get into the uh, projecting the next five years. Maybe we'll have to save that for next week's TDSP, though. It's not a bad topic, and there's a lot of good things going on. We uh, need to talk about ones uh, the uh, uh, Colorado MVPs that got shafted. Oh, man, we didn't even get into the snubs. Do you want to go through a quick list? I know you were you were fired up for that. Go I mean, look, 2018 Nathan McKinnon will stand there forever, but 2000 Todd Helton also, where Todd Helton led in like seven statistical categories and finished fifth. Yep. 07 Matt Holiday. Never forget. Never Jimmy, forget. Jimmy Rollins, GTFO. Um, yeah. Another Denver versus Philly battle. Um, yeah. Those ones, yeah, and then McKinnon is the one that pisses me off the most, probably, just because like we, these things get like we get talked about as a player's legacy, and when we talk about all this stuff, like that might have been his best chance at winning one, especially now that he has such an incredible sidekick. Right. Um, like that one bums me out because I just think that maybe he doesn't end up winning one, and and that's going to be used against him in like the greater conversation after his career. Two second place finishes, eighteen and twenty, uh, and. The, the reasoning that he that was used for him losing in 2018 was then used against him in 2020. He, in 2018, <laughs> it was because his teammates were too good. And then in 2020, yeah. it was because his teammates weren't good enough. <laughs> and it, it was like, I'm going to fight all these people. <laughs> yeah. uh, Team sports, this is what's so funny about them, though, is that adding the I think hockey and basketball in particular, because there's just enough players that it matters a whole lot, but not in so many that you can't, you know, they're so divorced of it. I will say, I think the number one snub for MVP in Colorado sports history is Nikola Jokic 2023. <laughs> I already, <laughs> already know it's going to happen. Might even put up even better numbers, break his own record, but there's no way in hell they're going to hand it to him. It's going to um, be it's going to be Kel McCarr because they won't give it to a defenseman. Uh, they just won't do it. I say Bobby. Jokic averages a triple double. Nuggets get the one seed. They have no choice but to give it to him. <laughs> oh, that would be the best thing no, ever. 
everybody, uh, if you're new, if you uh, are DNBR Nuggets person, you're checking it out. AJ following right now a title chase for the Stanley Cup chase for the Colorado Avalanche. They're a hell of a lot of fun. You don't have to know a whole lot about hockey to tune in. I highly encourage you guys to watch it. If you are tuning in for the first time and check it out, RK, the Broncos schedule just dropped. He's about to do a live Broncos schedule release party uh, podcast. Can't wait for that. If you haven't uh, seen enough of me today on the early Broncos show, the Bet show, or this show, uh, you got another hour of me coming in just 30 minutes. And then Andre Simone, of course, is a five-tool player over at DNBR, but most notable, uh, always hosting the DMVR Bet Show along with RK, so you can check that out every single day as well. Hit that like button on the way out, everybody. See you next time.